Friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. It's really good to have you with me today. And this episode I've had in the works for probably four months, five months. And just timing wise, uh, I wanted to kind of really give it some thought. And, and, and now where we find ourselves, uh, this topic of racism, it's almost like it's landing at just the right time for us to be having these conversations. Any time is a good time, let's be honest. But it just feels like this is on the tips of our tongues right now. And what I want to explore uh, around racism isn't the rights and wrongs of, of racism. It's I want to explore what does it mean to be human from a God perspective. Because if we understand what it means to be human and our part in God's design of the world, there is no place for racism uh, within that. So I want us to understand who is it that we are meant to be? How are we meant to live? What are we dreaming of for the future? Uh, and with all of that should give us enough uh, kind of theology to work out how do we live? What world are we going to be a part of creating and making. So today's episode on Making Disciples is looking at racism, but it's actually looking at what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to understand the human race created in the image of God? So we're going to be exploring this from a theological ex, um, kind of a theological angle, which will then help us understand maybe what do we do next. So I'm not approaching this from a justice position or, or any other theological position. I'm approaching this from the position of what does it mean to be a human being. So friends, I hope you find this episode interesting. My name is Chris Rogers and I'm your host today on Making Disciples. And here we go, a conversation on what does it mean to be human. So what does it mean to be human? Why is it even important that we talk about this? It's important because the way that we have been broken by sin is that we as human beings want to make ourselves feel better about ourselves using money, kind of wealth, power, status. We want to use whatever we can to make ourselves feel like we are more important in the world. Uh, one of the things that sin does, it makes us as human beings uh, want to build my kingdom. And when I build my kingdom, I'm looking for whatever way possible that I can make myself feel better about who I am and how I live, my position in the world. Some people do it by uh, having more money, more money makes them feel more powerful. Actually, some of um, those that struggle with racism the most are the, what those people who feel the most powerless. So they try to make themselves feel more powerful by finding any means possible. You know, sexism is one way uh, that uh, men who have struggled with their identity in the past have used to oppress women to make them feel better about themselves. It's sinful. And in the same way, racism is used to make myself feel better about my position in the world because at least I'm not down there. Uh, so racism is a part of a sinful nature of trying to control and be powerful uh, in the world. So 
let's just start here. Jesus comes, he comes to the Jewish people and Jesus says uh, to the disciples, therefore go to all nations, teaching them about the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, baptizing them in the Trinity, uh, discipling them in the way of Jesus. So Jesus sends them out to plant the church, to grow the church uh, and for the church to flourish in all kinds of places, in all kinds of nations. So Jesus sends them out. Uh, and it's right from word go, it's a problem. Right from word go, they start asking this question, what does it mean to be a part of the Jesus movement? Do people need to become Jewish? And this wrestling over uh, race and superiority starts to develop as they work out what it means to grow the church. So this, this homogenous group of people are becoming a multicultural group of people and it's not easy because there's clashing between these different cultures. So when Paul is writing to Ephesus or Thessaloniki or Colossae, he's doing so trying to explain the Christian faith to them to fit their culture but also to try and bring their culture towards more of a God culture. And there's a question, is well, is it a God culture or is it a Jewish culture? And all of this uh, starts kind of bubbling and it's a difficult wrestling for the first few centuries of the church. What does it mean to be the people of God uh, within our own cultures? As it was not an easy ride. But what we see in the book of Revelation 7, uh, 9 uh, is this beautiful picture of what the church looks like, the people of God, at the end of time. So let me just read this to you. So this is about the, uh, uh, the, the kingdom at the end of time. So Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that nobody could number, from every nation, from every tribe, peoples, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Palm branches are a symbol of peace. So here we have this picture at the end of time. It's the picture of the heavenly realms before the throne of God. And it's from people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every language, every people. In other words, the whole of humanity finds their place before the throne of God, robed in white. Why robed in white? It's about holiness. The picture is of holiness. And here you have every tribe and every tongue, every people before this throne. And, and what I would say is this, that picture is a prophetic picture of the future. This is what it will look like uh, when Jesus returns and we all get caught up into heaven. But that prophetic picture is not to stay as a dream for the reality. It's to become a blueprint that we can grab hold of and pull towards us now to become a reality today. If the spirit of God is at work, if we're longing to see the kingdom of God on earth, uh, then we will see it in that image of the full body of Christ, the full humanity brought forward to be in the church. The church is to be a diverse family of people from every tribe, language, tongue, nation. It's to be everyone in it together. It, the church is not an homogenous group of people. Now, if you go to a church or a part of a church that is a homogenous 
group of people. It may just be that you live in a part of England where the landscape is very white. But let me tell you now, you are not experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of God. It might be good on a Sunday, you might enjoy church on a Sunday, but you're not experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of God. You are experiencing something of the kingdom. Uh, but when you gather with Christians from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, then you're starting to experience something of the kingdom of God. I absolutely love it when I get to go to Christian conferences and particularly Christian conferences that really gather people from every denomination. Uh, and when you get people from every denomination, you really do start to get a mix uh, of people. You start to experience something of the fullness of God, the full humanity of God. And it's just a snapshot of that, that Revelation 7 image, that prophetic image of what the church will look like in the future. But friends, we have to be honest. If that's the prophetic picture of the future... Then over the last 2,000 years, there has been times in the church's history when we've looked more like hell than we have looked like heaven. We've looked more like hell than we have looked like heaven. The body of Christ, the church, has not looked like uh, this beautiful picture from Revelation. In fact, there have been times when we have been the total opposite. We have some embarrassing uh, eras in the church where the church has not been the fullness of God, the full picture of humanity. We've looked more like hell than we have looked like heaven. So in the Bible, we read about divisions, about race and ethnicity, uh, Jews and Gentiles, a division between men and women, uh, Children often viewed as property and enslavement of foreigners uh, that have been viewed as inferior. And one of the things that we have to do when we read the scriptures is understand that the story of God is a story of liberation and a story of humanity moving from imprisonment to full freedom. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, uh, what sex you are, the story of God is a story of liberation, God moving people from inferiority uh, to equality, from imprisonment to liberation. And what we're seeing in the Bible is this constant pulling forward towards what becomes this Revelation 7 image. I wanted to just share this with you before we start really unpacking something about what it means to be human. Jesus Face on challenges racism, uh, full frontal. I've told this story before uh, on the Making Disciples podcast. I am not going to explore it in its fullness today. But I just want to remind us of the story of the Good Samaritan. The story of the Good Samaritan was a story that had been around before Jesus. And Jesus takes it, changes the ending and gives it a different challenge. In the original story, the story was of a man that had been attacked on the road and there was three people that walked by. And the final one that walked by was a Jewish layman. And the story was all about you as a human being, as a Jewish person, knowing your place in Jewish society. You're not a priest. You don't work in the temple. Those guys need to stay holy and pure. Uh, but as a Jewish layman, your job is to serve the people in the streets. If the job of the priest is to serve the people in the temple, then your job is to serve the people in the streets. So the Jewish layman comes along finds the man who'd been attacked in the road 
at the side of uh, that very narrow walkway from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it was his job to serve and care for the man that had been attacked. Jesus takes this story about knowing your place in society and flips it and turns it into a story about systemic racism. Jesus tells a story and in his telling of the story, the man that comes down the road that helps is the Samaritan, the one that is hated by the Jewish people, systemically hated, racistly hated. They, they're described as uh, the people of Shechem, um, described as being uh, like, like pigs. And Jesus takes this racist hate towards his people group and he flips it and turns that individual into the hero of the story. And what would have happened at the time, the people hearing this story would have been, what do you mean? How could you say that? Wash your mouth out, Jesus. We all know how the story ends and it's not at the hands of a dirty Samaritan. Jesus takes the story and he uses it as a way of pinpointing uh, racism in the lives and the heart of the Jewish people. We now make that story about a story of being kind and helpful. No, it's a story of systemic racism. And we in each culture and society should be able to take out the Samaritan from that, from that story and put somebody in that story that we would hate to be there, who that we would hate to be there. Jesus tells a story to challenge systemic racism. Let's just explore for a moment then. Who are we as human beings? As we understand who we are, we start to understand the commonality between all of us and therefore understanding uh, that we are all one in God. So let me just explore this. What does it mean to be human? So first and foremost, I want to say this. We are all one race, Dif different ethnicities, but we are one race, the human race. We're a human race uh, with the same parents. We are created uh, from, we're told, Adam and Eve. So if you track the story of humanity in the Bible, if, if you either see it as a picture or as you see it as reality, either way you want to see that story, the point is you get to Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve are the very birthplace of the human race. And it's from Adam and Eve that all people, tribes, nations and tongues come from. And we are told that we are created as human beings in the image of God. So the very heart of the image within each human being is of the divine. We are created in the image and likeness of God. This is who you are. There is not an individual that you can find on planet Earth that is not designed fearfully and wonderfully in the image of the divine. Every living person on the planet, past, present and future, are in the image of God. That is the likeness that every single one of us holds within our very DNA. We are all the same in terms of um, we are one family. Adam and Eve are our you know, great, 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 great grandparents. Any division has been created by us 
and not in the very nature and design of who we are. Any division has come from human beings, not from God. God created us to be in his image. Uh, we will make humanity, God says, in our image, male and female. We will create them. It doesn't say we'll create male and female of different ethnicities, of different races. He says we will create human beings and they will populate the planet. Uh, so any division from that point on comes from our sinfulness. Eve eats the apple and in that moment pride enters our human's heart and from that point division starts uh, to flood the human race. We look for any way to make ourselves feel more powerful over another tribe or another nation so we feel better about ourselves. Secondly, because we are created in the image of God, we are image bearers. We carry the image of God, which means any human being that you stand in front of, the face looking back at you is a face created in the divine. It's created in the image of God. You cannot find one uh, human being on the planet whose face you can look at and you don't see something fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, you might look into the eyes of somebody who is a criminal, somebody who is a murder, a murderer, and you might see someone that is distorted, but you are still seeing a child of the divine. And I'm talking about criminality there. Because sometimes people start going, yeah, but what about that? They're less human because they've done this. No, rubbish. They're not less human. Uh, there's salvation needed and there's restoration needed. And God needs to be at work in their lives, whatever they have done. We're all shameful. We're all broken. We've all said things, done things, been places that brought shame on that beautiful divine image within us. We are all image bearers. We cannot see another human being without seeing the full image of God. So I want to say just this uh, for a second. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. Now, in reality, I, I, I'd first say this. Some people say, well, all life matters. I'd say totally all life matters. But unless hashtag Black Lives Matter is true, then all life can't matter. My big problem with the phrase Black Lives Matter is actually the bit matter. I, I don't think the word matter, I just, I find the word matter a weak word. There's a worship song that has this lyric you're, to God, it says, you are all together lovely. And I hear that lyric in that worship song, you're all together lovely. If I'm describing God, I would never describe him as lovely. My mum's lovely. Yeah, my aunt, she's lovely. Uh, my wife bakes a cake. It, it's lovely. Um, but God isn't lovely. God is holy. When I sing that song, it is, you're all together holy. The same for me is around black lives matter. The word matter just for me has no real uh, substance it's missing something because i believe in the sanctity of life i believe life is holy life is sacred no matter what race you are from whatever tribe you are from whatever ethnicity you are from the sanctity of life the beauty and the sacredness 
of life. Black life is sacred. And I, I, my struggle with the phrase is it's not strong enough. I feel like we need a stronger phrase. Let's use it. it it's a helpful. Matter, but I'm like, no, black lives are more than matter. Um, black lives is the sanctity of life because we are created in the image of God. We're image bearers of God. Black lives are sacred, not just matter. Thirdly, therefore, and consequently, we're all sinners. We are all sinners. Any one of us that has um, destroyed the sanctity and beauty of the divine in any other human being in any shape or form from a split second when you're driving the car and you peer over and you see the other driver and you see that it's an old Asian guy and you think to yourself, ah, I can go past him. Just those split second little decisions that we don't even realise are based upon what is a power thing inside of us. We're all sinners. We're all sinners in, in, in multiples of ways. In fact, scripture says we create new ways of sinning. Every single one of us is broken. Does not matter what tribe or tongue or what nation you are from. We are equal in the fact that we are created by the divine. We are equal in the fact that we have fallen short of what the divine wants for us. And in that we are equal at the foot of the cross. In that Christ died for every single one of us. So we are equal in our creation, we are equal in our fall, and we are equal in our salvation. And I clearly say it's sinfulness that points out division in any form. When we divide people up for any reason, it's sinfulness that does that in us. I want to read this to you, Galatians 3, 26. So in Jesus Christ, uh, you are all children of God through faith. And for all of you who were baptised into Jesus, have clothed yourself in Christ. So let me just pause there for a moment. When we enter into God, we are all wearing the clothing of the divine. We are all wrapped up in the robes of the divine, equaling what we wear in salvation. And Paul says there is neither a Jew or Gentile, there's neither a slave or free, there's neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And the Greek word there used for one is the same Greek word that's linked to the same Hebrew word that we're told that God is one. And actually the oneness of God, the, the God who is three persons but yet one, this magical, mysterious oneness of God uh, is this idea of the wholeness of God, the perfection of God. Uh, so when, when you are all one in Christ Jesus, we're entering into the oneness of the divine, the oneness of the Trinity. So to understand what it means to be fully human means to understand how we are connected together as one family wrapped up in the divine trinity, wrapped up in God. Um, what a beautiful image. 
We are equal in our creation. We're equal in our fall. We're equal in our salvation. And then we're equal in our redemption. Wrapped up in God, one people, neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, male nor female. This is the oneness of humanity created in the oneness of God. What we're doing here is deep theology on what it means to be human beings. Now, what I do want to say, just as we kind of get to the end, is this. I've talked about uh, oneness in our fall, uh, oneness in our uh, creation, our fall, our salvation and redemption, the oneness of humanity. Oneness does not mean sameness. And I, I think this is really important for each and every one of us. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in our salvation. We are all one in the fact we're created in the image of God. One uh, tribe, one family, one people, the human race. But, but uh, there's something else to add here. So often people say, um, when I when I look at somebody of ethnicity, I don't see their ethnicity because we're all the same. And I want to say into that, no. When you look at somebody uh, of a different ethnicity to you, uh, what you are seeing is something beautiful that needs to be celebrated. We are one and the same, whilst at the same time we are fundamentally different. So racial difference, people say, is artificial. No, it's not. Difference has to be celebrated. When I meet someone of another nation and tribe, who they are in their skin colour, in their... Uh, the way they dress, the way they live, the music they produce, the food that they cook, that diversity is beautiful and needs celebrating. So at one point we say we are all the same, whilst at the same time we have to say we are different, but that difference is beautiful because the difference is like a gem that we turn every ethnicity, every tribe, every tongue that we turn, we see another facet of the divine. We see another angle on what it means uh, to be created in the image of God. Not one ethnicity can reveal the full nature of God. Someone who is Jewish represents uh, in a Jewish, you know, in the fact that they look Jewish, they sound Jewish, they eat Jewish, they, they, they look like something of the nature of the divine within Christ, who was a Jew. He was not white. But they don't hold everything about who Christ is. Um, and the different ethnicities uh, reveal something new and flavoursome and colourful and beautiful of the image of God. So we are the same, whilst at the same time we are different. But the difference points us all back to the divine because we're created in his image. And my last thing I want to say is, can we please start really using the word racism and calling it out for what it is? Whenever someone uh, sees difference and calls it out negatively, it is racism. And sometimes those who have skin colour like mine struggle to use that word. And we have to call it out for what it is. It is racism. 
Um, and we need to say what it is and call it out. And we have to challenge it because any form of racism goes against the divine. Because if we create it in his image and when we criticize somebody else because of their uh, ethnicity, we are actually criticizing something of the divine. Because God is, um, he is not like me and he's not like you, but he is like all of us together. And I want to land by asking you uh, just a simple question. What can you do to promote the image of the divine in every human being? What do you need to call out? What do you need to challenge? And what do you say, need to say is not okay? And how do you need to live in such a way that you live with this fullness of the kingdom of God in your very heart, your very nature, in, in your mind? What do you need to do or shift inside of yourself to live out the full character of God in every human being's life? What does that look like in your street, in your workplace, in your family, how you engage politically, how you engage with the rest of the planet? What does that look like for you to live out an understanding of the full kingdom of God, the full body of Christ. Let me just pray. Heavenly Father, that Revelation 7 image is a prophetic picture for the future, but it's also a picture for us to live out today. God, would we play our part in building the kingdom on earth where every ethnicity, tribe, language, tongue, people group all have their part to play because we are equal in the fact that we are saved, all saved by you. And would we bring something of each of our uniquenesses together to really reveal the full kingdom. We pray that in the powerful name of Jesus. Friends, I pray you found that helpful today, looking at this from a theological perspective. Until next time, grace and peace.